2: It's the California Report magazine, and on today's show we meet a survivor from last year's Northern California firestorm, trying to calm her anxiety and fear as new wildfires break out across the state. Just seeing the smoke
3: off to the east, I get this sense of dread. Just immediately I go, "Oh,
2: oh no, not again. Plus, a pair of legendary musicians bridging the divide between California and Texas.
4: Downey, California and Lubbock, Texas are not that different. You know, they're both flat and... Um, <laughs> with a big sky. With big, with big sky.
2: And how stories of migrant kids at the border are stirring up memories for a 97-year-old man once separated from his family. I'm Sasha Koka, and this is The California Report magazine. Your state, your stories.
1: I looked over my house... It looked like a volcano erupting. I mean, there was so much smoke and just a, a tornado of smoke. I just was in awe. I was just such in shock. I was like, we are leaving now.
4: It was very chaotic, and our officers were trying to do the best they can in advance of this.
3: People are traumatized to differing degrees, depending on how close they were to the fire, what they lost, and whether or not they were isolated.
4: It's not like we can just start dragging hoses along where where that is. That's steep, rugged terrain. We're really gonna have to get out ahead of that.
2: We're retired. This was our home. This was, we paid it off. We paid off everything. We don't have any bills. Now we're at the age where we have to start over again and, and that's insurmountable. Voices from some of the residents and first responders grappling with wildfires burning across California. Some of the most devastating in the state's history, including a tornado of fire that roared through Shasta County at more than 140 miles an hour. As people there are facing evacuations and threats to their homes, there are reports that some shops are taking advantage of the fire victims by charging them exorbitant prices for essentials like food. KQED's Sam Harnett brings us the story of a Mexican restaurant that's doing just the opposite.
1: Elsa Ceja's parents came from Mexico and opened La Cabaña in the city of Reading 22 years ago.
3: We're original from uh, Michoacán, Mexico.
1: When the fires broke out last week, Elsa and her whole family were in Mexico on a vacation. They landed in Sacramento on Saturday when the blaze was at its height, flames consuming parts of the city.
5: Everyone was kind of scared, and I'm like, no, we got to go back. We got to go see what's going on. We got to go home and
4: see and try to help. We can't just... You no know, take off. We, are, we have to be there for our community. They've been here for us for so many years, you know, supporting us, so it's time to be there.
1: Elsa and her family rushed home. They posted on Twitter that they would give free food to first responders and firefighters. And they'd also give 20% discounts to evacuees. They distributed breakfast burritos at a nearby evacuation center. For more help, Elsa called her sister, Alma Fragoso, in nearby Sacramento.
5: Just about
4: now, I don't know, probably like 10 minutes or so, there's a truck coming.
1: Oh, well, there it is. (laughs) Loaded with some stuff that my sister gathered over there. Oh, wow. Is that it right here? That's the truck? What's in the truck, just like? Uh, Water, diapers, and stuff. Elsa's sister, Alma, just rolled in from (laughs) Sacramento. Alma contacted her local priest to get donations. Water, clothes, and toys.
5: He's a priest from our church. Oh, nice.
1: Uh, What's the name of the church?
5: Our Lady of Guadalupe. Lady Guadalupe.
1: Our Lady of Guadalupe. In Sacramento. In, in Sacramento. Yeah. Oh. And you just heard that this was happening, and you wanted to help? I asked them, yeah, yeah, in Susana. Yeah, it's really nice. i It's OK. It's awesome. Jesus Manso is Elsa's older brother, and he cooks for the restaurant. He's astounded by the truckload of donations. He's been hearing reports about how some shops are jacking up prices on essential goods. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, it's time to help. No, we're here to help. Latinos are in the minority in Reading. It's a city of about 92,000 people, and it's predominantly white, around 85% white. In 2016, the city and nearby region voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. This year, the county voted to become a non-sanctuary zone for undocumented immigrants. There's a worry now that Latinos on the fire's missing persons list have been afraid to identify themselves to law enforcement for fear of deportation. Jesus has just finished unloading the truck of donations, and he's back in the kitchen cooking. The temperature is in the triple digits hot back here, huh? Oh, it is really hot. Man, I can't yeah. imagine a whole day. Yeah. The restaurant's busy. It's dinner time. A new group of evacuees just came in. And they're hungry for some Mexican food. For the California Report, I'm Sam Harnett in Redding, California.
2: Some of the fires blazing across the state are pretty close to places that have recently burned, like Santa Rosa. For people who survived last fall's massive firestorm there, it can be really upsetting to smell smoke again. Hear helicopters or even see flames light up their TV screens. KQED's Leslie McClerk paid a visit to a woman who's been watching the hazy skies and feeling panicked. The
6: view from Danielle Bryant's window is pretty unsettling. The orange-tinged sky is just enough for me to set off my anxiety and feelings of fear. Last year, on October 8th, an explosion jolted Bryant awake in the middle of the night. She says howling winds shook the house and the air was hot. She and her husband jumped in their car and fled with just the clothes on their backs. We were running for our life. At that point, it was starting to sink in that we were running for our lives. When they returned the next day, the street was desolate. The air reeked of burnt chemicals. Homes were charred rubble. The fire destroyed thousands of houses and killed 43 people. We were victims to one of the most terrible events in history. For the past year, Bryant has struggled with many symptoms of trauma, sleeplessness, nightmares, irritability, loss of appetite
3: agitation, so quick to agitation, hence the fight that I got in the other night
6: with my husband. It was a fight about nothing. She says she blew up after watching the news about all the fires on television. She hasn't turned the TV on since. And she says a lot of people are going through the same thing. And you can just feel it. There's a sense of tension here in Santa Rosa. Bryant is now living in a temporary apartment about a mile away from her old house. She's still really working through a lot of what happened. These last 10 months, have been one of the hardest. It is the hardest
3: time of my life. Because what you have to do after an event like this is you have to go on living. So just living becomes the hard part, leaving
6: everything behind, acceptance, grief. During especially hard times, Bryant found herself driving to the empty lot where she used to live. It was like
3: visiting like a gravesite. So it was a place to just come and be
6: and to cry. She takes me over to see the ruins, and as she's backing out of her parking spot, she pauses and takes a deep breath. Just seeing the smoke off to the east, I get this sense of dread. Oh, oh no, not again. (sighs) As we drive down her old street in the coffee park neighborhood, we pass the skeleton of a rusty sedan still parked in a pile of ash. This was definitely the hardest-hit neighborhood.
3: You can still see some of the trees that are still standing. um, Their trunks are
6: burnt. But the suburb is also coming back to life. Construction crews are framing new homes.
3: You can see our street sign. Um,
6: Bryant carefully treads through some weeds and knee-high bushes. See this, this outline, this box? That was it. That was our home. She crouches down and then puts her head in her hands and just takes a moment. After a few minutes, she stands up. Next door, a crane drops a pile of plywood beams. All over the ground, little green shoots are pushing through the blackened decay. This green is hopeful to me.
3: This is just a sign that nature comes back and is forgiving and
6: that we can live on. We can come back. We drive back to the apartment To help process her grief, Bryant is taking a writing class. I have have three pieces. She says it's therapeutic to put painful memories into words. Grief, breathing into my bones of lead,
3: it's stuck there in the deep. Was it all a dream? After, we were refugees. I remember swimming at a hotel in Healdsburg, floating in abundant blue. A cool bomb, a boon in a strange town. Not home, nothing of ours known. But this little box
6: of a room kept us from sinking. When she's seeing smoke and getting panic these days, Bryant tries to stay grounded by taking a deep breath and focusing on the present moment. She's taking it one day at a time as they rebuild their lives and their home. And is there any part of you that's questioning living in the same place? Uh, Yes, that was uh, something that we, uh,
3: it was very mixed, (laughs) uh, because it is going back to the place of trauma, but
6: it's also going back to our home. They hope to move back in about a year. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg.
4: California's burning can smell it in the air.
2: Dave Alvin's song, California's Burning, seems like it could be the new anthem for the Golden State, now that fire season is basically anytime, anywhere.
4: You may be rich or poor, but you know that fire don't care.
2: Dave Alvin has written so many odes to California during his long career playing punk, folk, and rock and roll. Now in his 60s, he's teaming up with 73-year-old Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Their new album, Downy to Lubbock, celebrates their California and Texas roots.
4: Billy the Kid said to Geronimo My mother died young and left me all alone
2: The album's been at the top of the Billboard blues charts, but it's actually a mixture of rock and roll, folk, western swing, and delta blues, with Dave's rich baritone and Jimmy Dale's distinctive reedy twang. This song imagines a meeting between Billy the Kid and Geronimo, two 19th-century outlaws from the American West, debating justice, ethics, and history. Geronimo
0: said, I've nowhere left to hide. The land of my birth, I don't recognize.
2: Dave Alvin and Jimmy Dale Gilmore, thank you so much for joining us on the California Report magazine.
0: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much.
2: So you guys aren't the most obvious pairing. I mean, we got California meets Texas, two musicians from two different generations, different musical traditions. What did you guys find out that you had in common?
0: First of all, we, we've we been very good friends for a very, very long time, many, many years. But we never played music together until last year. Looking back, it's kind of odd to me that we never thought of it before.
4: But. <laughs> Everything in its time, you know. Yeah. But, but it's weird. Yeah, people say, what an odd pairing. Not to us. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> seems completely like, natural. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, an odd pairing would have been maybe uh, me, Jimmy Dale, and... Uh, uh, Bjork, maybe that would have been interesting. But even that could have worked, you know.
2: So you guys have been touring this summer with your new album Downy to Lubbock. How did the idea of doing an album together happen? How did it come about?
4: We did a series of acoustic shows, just you know, Jimmy, Dale, and I on acoustic guitars, and it was really the first night in in my brain when we did the Dino Valenti Youngblood song uh, get together and uh jimmy didn't tell me what song it was he just said it's in g and i was like okay what are we playing here we go and he sang the first line you know uh what is it love is just a song we sing
0: you can make the mountains ring or make the angels cry
4: and just the way he sang it i was like well we got to make a record of this
0: Right away, we discovered that we had a whole trove of shared musical background, stuff that we both loved when we were young and learning how to play. Because we were playing uh, acoustic, it brought up the old uh, folk singer and folk blues side of what I had done early on that I hadn't, hadn't really touched in a really long time.
2: Tell me about the title song, Downy to Lubbock. I mean, it's basically your two origin stories. You got Wild Blues Blaster meets Old Flatlander.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's uh, semi autobiographical and uh, metaphorical, and it's working on a few different levels, hopefully. And you (laughs) could dance to it.
0: wonder west texas wind through
2: my veins so did you guys write that together i mean how did you come up with the yeah.
4: lyrics i had the idea well we should have you know a, like a defining song for the record you know we were cutting the track and i sang the first verse and then jimmy just kind of made up some lyrics
0: i, I thought we were making a, a like a template to work on and i was going to i'd go home and work on it and you know work up some lyrics and and so i just did this scratch what i thought were scratch vocals and then we got through dave said no we're keeping that
4: yeah it was perfect
2: yeah it's like the story of your two road trips through life converging on one highway
4: <laughs> yeah but you know the downy california and lubbock texas are not that different you know in some ways i remember the first time i was ever in lubbock was around 1982 and just being struck by how similar they looked to each other, you know. <laughs> I just felt like, well, I'm back home. You know, they're both flat. And, um, <laughs> with a big sky. With big, with big sky. Neither one of us had realized that I had
0: been in California when, when I was probably 19 or 20, and uh, I spent some time in L.A., and I used to go to the Ash Grove, and... It turned out that dave and phil were hanging out there at the same time they're they're quite a bit younger than me but they were we were listening to the very same music
4: the Ashgrove was this uh sort of legendary southern california club and um, a lot of people grew up at the Ashgrove, grove Ray cooter taj mahal bonnie Raitt, people like that and then jimmy dale and me you know my brother phil we all we're all Ashgrove kids in a way. It's where we got a lot of our musical education, so I never knew that. You know, Who knew that we could <laughs> cross paths in the Ashgrove and then 40 years later make an album together?
2: Well, a lot of the songs on this album are covers. How did you guys decide what songs you wanted to cover?
4: When we were doing the acoustic tours, we would start each show with uh, each to a song that the audience knew, and we'd end the show with each doing a song that the audience knew. But in between was just flights of fancy of, hey, did you ever hear this song by so-and-so, you know? Sort of culled from that from that touring experience of, well, this song you sing really good. This song I sing okay, you know. Let's do those, you know. Hmm. But it's also, you know, songs that struck some kind of chord with us, you know, emotionally. Goodbye
0: to my one Goodbye, Rosalina Adios, mis amigos Jesus mi Maria
2: You got the old Woody Guthrie song, Deportee, about that plane wreck at Los Gatos. It's like a piece of Mm -hmm. history that so many Californians have forgotten. What inspired you to revive it now?
0: Uh, Deportee is just in itself a beautiful piece of work. It's a beautiful song, and it's so poignant and so well done. and And Dave has been saying in the introduction to it in our shows that it's it's one of these songs that unfortunately is both timeless and timely some of us are illegal and some are not wanted our work contracts out and we've got to move on 600 miles to the mexican border
4: The night before we recorded, I stayed up late listening to uh, about, and I'm not exaggerating, about 125 versions of D4T, because I was like, okay, we have to make it different from all of these, you know. Once Jimmy Dale started singing it, I was like, well, I didn't need to stay up all night listening to 8 million versions of D4T jimmy's got a quality in his voice that eliminates baggage from a lot of songs jimmy's got the kind of voice that says here here's a new song even if it's you know sixty years old
0: who are these friends who are falling like dry leaves the radio
2: says they're just deep You guys are both solo artists. You've both had formidable careers of your own. What was the most surprising thing about working and collaborating with each other? Was there anything unexpected?
0: Well, all of it, in a way, for me, because we were fans of each other, and we hadn't actually played together. So discovering how much we had in common in our background was a giant surprise to me because I you know I've been sort of typecast over in one world as a country folky I don't know what <laughs> what the word is and not say Americana David <laughs> <laughs> Dave is so associated with punk with the blasters you know and and both of us have a, a lot more uh, wide-ranging taste than than people would expect of us walk on walk
2: on Walk on, walk, on, walk on. Dave Alvin and Jimmy Dale Gilmore's new album is called Downey the Lubbock. Thanks so much, you guys, for joining us on the California Report magazine.
4: Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: thank you very much. I gotta keep on
4: walking till I find my way back home Now the night may be cold, the road may be long But one thing I know, it's always darkest for the dawn I walk
2: This summer, as we've been hearing about families separated at the U.S.-Mexico border, we've been bringing you stories about different kinds of separations and the lasting effects they can have on kids. We've heard from a Native American woman forced to attend boarding school and a young poet grieving the years he spent apart from his dad, who was incarcerated. Today, we meet a Berkeley man who is 97 years old, but his mind is sharp and quick, his name is Ben Stern, and he clearly remembers the day he last saw his mother.
5: Without saying goodbye, without a hug, a kiss, it happened so sudden, so sudden.
2: They were in Poland in a crowd of Jews being rounded up from a ghetto during the Holocaust. Without any warning, soldiers used a stick to push his mother Yentel toward one line, Ben Toward another.
5: She got lost in the crowd, and I was uh, pushed to the different crowd, just like pulling feathers from a chicken.
2: Feathers from a chicken.
5: That's what it looked like. That's how it felt. Ripped apart. Do you
2: remember what the date was, Ben?
5: (laughs) August 15, 1942.
2: After that day, he survived nine concentration camps and two death marches. His parents, his grandmother, eight brothers, and one sister were all killed.
5: I didn't make peace in me for the loss of my loved ones. I still dream, I still dream. Every night, some somebody else appears.
2: He takes out one of the only remaining black and white pictures of his mom.
5: Here's my mother, pregnant with me.
2: She has a scarf tied around her head, and she's carrying his older sister on her hip.
5: My mother meant to me just like my life meant to me. She was so dear, she was huge. In my mind,
2: he never gave up hope that he would find her, even when he knew in his heart that she hadn't survived the death camps. When he visited Treblinka, a camp in Poland, in 1988, he posted a note in the guest book.
5: I wrote down, "I'm looking for my mother."
2: Ben says some people might think it's a big leap to talk about his story and the migrant kids today in one breath. His parents were starved and murdered in the Holocaust. The kids separated at the border are alive, and so are their parents. But their stories do resonate with him.
5: I cannot put myself in the children's uh, place, but uh, I feel their pain. Personally, I feel their, their pain. That pain, Ben says, won't
2: necessarily go away, even as many of the migrant kids are being reunited with their parents.
5: No matter how soon they get together, but that's an unforgettable act that has been planted in their brains and in their heart.
2: He has some advice for those kids as they grow up and try to
5: process that experience. Don't forget. Don't forget what uh, happened. But life goes on. Turn a new page. Be hopeful that things will get better.
2: Things will get better, says Ben Stern. He says his mother's love has sustained him his whole life, even though he hasn't seen her since the day they were separated in 1942. And that's the California Report Magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our director is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our online producer is David Marks. Our intern is Marisol Medina-Cadena. Our editorial team includes Cat Snow, Julia McAvoy, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Have a great weekend. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your
4: stories. Support for the California Report comes from College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems and the Wesley Foundation, improving the lives of California's children and youth at risk. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors,
0: musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning
2: Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Abdel-Fattah from Throughline.